Last week, Brittany and I watched a movie together by the name of Wonder, and I highly recommend it. It was a heartwarming tale. In the, in the movie, it, it features uh, Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, and it follows the story of a 10-year-old kid named Augie. Now, Augie has a, a condition which has resulted in 27 different uh, facial surgeries in order for him to be able to see and to hear and smell uh, properly. And, and so this has led to uh, a deformity of his facial features. And so the story tracks his experiences as a 10-year-old starting out in school for the first time. And, and just his experience navigating that as, as a kid who's entirely normal, but looks a bit different. And, and as you know, as we all know, kids can be cruel sometimes. And, and as he finds his way there, it's, it's heartwarming. It's a, it's a tearjerker. I definitely recommend it. I would say one of the, one of the top movies that I've, I've seen in recent years. You can find it on, on Netflix if you want to take a look. And, and so Augie, things start out relatively well. Augie's uh, he eases his way in. He's able to make a friend by the name of, of Jack. They, they become really good buddies laughing and having fun, even as there's other kids that make mean comments and he does face bullying and just awkwardness around him. And Jack are pretty good buddies. But then something happens. One day, uh, Augie walks into a room and he overhears his friend Jack say something terribly mean about him. Jack is with a few other of the kids and, and they were saying mean things about Augie and, and Jack kind of caved to the peer pressure and said something horrible. And, and from that moment, it changes Augie's disposition. And he, he puts up a protective barrier and a wall around him. And, and throughout the movie, this protective barrier that he places up to, to I guess, care for himself, to shelter himself from the cruelty, uh, it's symbolized with a space helmet. And so he often wears this space helmet so that people can't see him, so that he feels distant and, and safe. And, and as I thought about this image of, of him navigating life with this space helmet on, I think that's actually a helpful metaphor or a helpful image for us. Now, the movie has a, a wonderful, happy ending. Everything works out. And in, in the end, Augie is actually given the, the school's Citizen of the Year Award at their closing assembly. And they have this wonderful shot of everybody applauding him and, and, and smiling, including the kids who had bullied him at one time. So it has a, has a happy ending. But in the midst of it, this, this wonderful kid who's experiencing this, this pain, this cruelty, he, he puts up a barrier around himself symbolized by wearing this space helmet. I think that oftentimes we in life navigate our reality in this same way. We put up this protective barrier. We wear this space helmet. Now, of course, you can only push a metaphor so far. For Augie, this was through no fault of, of his own that he faced this cruelty for ourselves. It's a mixture. Some of the cruelty that we face, some of the pain and the despair that we experience is because of other people. But much of it also is inflicted by ourselves. So these walls go up. We protect ourselves. We push people away. These are walls against God, walls against other, other people. And so the focus of my message today is that those walls that you use to isolate yourself, that space helmet that you wear, Jesus wants to tear those down. He has a much bigger, much more wonderful vision for your life than to be someone with walls up all around you. So just to repeat that, the walls, you know those walls that isolate you? Jesus wants to tear them down. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22. As we work through Ephesians, we've got this theme of finding our story in God's story. I want to know what my life is about. I want to know how to live 
well. And the only way to truly discover that is to look at God, to find his story, to see who God is, what he's done, what he's calling us to. And it's then that we can thrive. It's then that we can have the good life. Finding our story in God's story as we work through the letter to the Ephesians. The backdrop for our text today involves a literal wall. For the Jews, they had a wall around their temple in Jerusalem. So kind of the, the focal place, the central city for their life and their worship was Jerusalem. There they had the temple. This is where the people went to experience God, to worship God. It was the place where God's presence was understood to be especially um, there. God was expected to be especially present in the, in the temple. And, and so around this temple, there was a big wall. And on that wall, there was a sign that said that no Gentile shall ever enter there. Now, Gentile is basically the word that is used for anyone who is not Jewish. It's the word for anyone who's not Jewish. So it says, no Gentile shall ever enter here. And everybody knew that any Gentile who chose to enter into, past that wall, into the temple, they were responsible for their own death. This was taken very, very seriously. So, so how, do, how do we make sense of this? Why did we end up in this situation where there was this literal wall that kept the Gentiles out of the worship of the Israelites. Well, well God, God chose the Israelites as his special particular people. He said, I, I want you. I'm going to use you. And, and, and it wasn't a matter of them becoming uh, the cat's meow and an entity unto themselves. The intent was God chose them to shape them so that he could use them as a tool in his hands to bless the whole world. They were chosen, but chosen for the purpose of blessing. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way because of the hardness of the heart of the people. They became arrogant. They became proud. They became selfish. And they, they said, well, we're, we're God's best nuts to everyone else. We're going to do our own thing. And God kept reminding them over the centuries. He would place Gentiles in their midst and welcome them into the family to show that this isn't about nationality. This isn't about your background. But Israel would, would uh, resist that. They would forget that. And they would do their own thing. And they actually despised the nation's around them. And so the, the, uh, the, the symbolic walls came up around them as a nation. And this eventually was lived out in that literal wall around their worship space. This was a dividing wall of hostility. This was the result of their attitudes over the centuries. Verse 12 in our text, it says, remember that at one time, so it's saying this to the Gentiles, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship with Israel and you were foreigners to the covenants of promise. You were without hope. So Israel had all of this stuff. They had promise. They had hope. They had this covenant relationship with God where he said, you're my people. They had all of this, but they kept it to themselves instead of sharing that with other people. And so it ends up in the situation where Israel's got the stuff and the Gentiles are over here. They don't have the stuff. They're left out of the picture. And so they're separate from God. They were separate from God's people. The Israelites, they, they marked their faith with the physical act of circumcision. Seems super strange to us, but in ancient times, this was a meaningful symbol to indicate that they were God's people. And so again, they took this, what, what was kind of a, a very private thing that indicated their faith to God. They made this 
um, a point of derision, a point of arrogance. And so they actually called the Gentiles, they sneered at the Gentiles and said, you are the uncircumcised people. That was uh, the language for them. And we see that also in our text. How many of you out there are Corner Gas fans? Man, I, I love that show. What a, what a great classic example of Canadian humor. If you're too young to know about Corner Gas, you've got to ask your mom and dad. You've got to check it out. Uh, find some YouTube clips. I think you can find it on, on CBC's app called Gem. Um, anyway, look up Corner Gas. Great stuff. If you watch Corner Gas, you will remember that, so the town of Dog River, where the, the characters lived, uh, they had a rivalry with another nearby town called Woolerton. They despised Woolerton. So every time they ever said the word Woolerton, anytime they made any reference to Woolerton, they immediately spat upon the ground. And this would just pop up randomly throughout the show, Woolerton, and then they'd, they'd spit. So if, if you can think about the, the hatred, the rivalry between these two towns, it gives us a glimpse of the rivalry between Jews and Gentiles, except it was ratcheted up times 100. It was... It was absolute hatred for one another, much beyond this rivalry between Dog, uh, Dog River and, and Woolerton. So thinking about these walls, these walls meant that there was hostility, or I should, I should say there was separation between the Gentiles and God because they hadn't been welcomed into that promise by the Jews. There was separation between the Jews and the Gentiles. There were these dividing walls that had been raised up. Let's take a moment and think about ourselves now. What are your walls? What are the things that keep you from experiencing God fully? What are the things that keep you from experiencing relationship with the people around you fully? What is the space helmet that you wear to protect yourself and to keep others at bay? Is there a wall between you and God? Like the Gentiles, these walls often happen through no fault of our own. Maybe it's as simple as things didn't make sense to you at one point, and so you just said, well, if it doesn't make sense, I don't want anything to do with God. Maybe it was a matter that you never seemed to be able to please your dad growing up, and so if, if this is a heavenly father, you couldn't please your own dad. You probably can't please your, uh, your, earth, your heavenly dad. Maybe that's why you've stepped away from God. Maybe you've been hurt by others. All kinds of reasons why there might be this wall up between us and God. And Jesus is inviting us to step into that relationship with him. He's invited us to be with him. He's made it possible. He loves you so much. I've been repeating this in my series. If you don't know Jesus, if you aren't in relationship with God, I ask that you would invite God into your life. Verse 13 of our text, it says, but now in Christ. So, so Paul's saying this to the Gentiles. They've come to faith in Jesus. He says, now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near by his blood. This is possible for you. If you're separate from God, if you're not in relationship with him, you can enter into that relationship through the blood of Jesus. There's something that happened when Jesus chose to die on the cross for our behalf, when he chose death on our behalf, something happened that made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. There's something about his shed blood, him being wounded on our behalf, that makes that possible. And so the Gentiles, they step into this relationship with, with God. They've been brought near. That wall's been brought down. And, and the same can be uh, for you. I continue to invite you to make that 
decision. God wants to shower his love on you. He wants to give you this hope. He wants to give you these promises. Life with Jesus is rich and it is good. So I invite you to place your faith in Jesus so that barrier could be torn down just as it was for the Gentiles. Now, the crazy thing is, we talked about how the Jews and the Gentiles, they hated one another. But then all of a sudden, the Gentiles, they start placing their faith in Jesus. They're meeting God. They're discovering Jesus as God in human flesh. They're seeing what a great teacher he was. They're seeing how he lived, how he died, how he rose from the dead. They're like, this, this is God. We want to follow him. So you've got Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. You've got Jews who've placed their faith in Jesus. And you have these two groups that actually have hated one another. And now they're a part of God's family together. And God does this incredible miracle. We see it in verse 14. It says, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. Jesus can be your peace. Jesus is our peace who made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. God does this incredible miracle. And, and so they start hanging out together and they start liking each other because of their common faith in Jesus. And there's this new community being formed. Verse 15 speaks to this. It says his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God at the cross where he put to death their hostility. This is a miracle. Both sides, they come to faith in Jesus, they move toward Jesus, and they find one another together at the cross in the person of Jesus, and they become this family together. God says, all right, this is your new reality. You're together. You got to figure this out. I'm going to do this miracle of joining you, even though you hated one another. For sure, it wasn't easy. Romans liked different music than the Jews. They had the tuba back then in the empire. The Jews didn't use tubas, they used shofars and they used lyres, they used harps. And so you had these different music preferences. And as they were beginning to spend time together, as they were beginning to worship together, no doubt there were clashes around what their music was like. Romans ate different foods than the Jews did. They played different games. They had different ways of viewing the world. They were all about philosophy and understanding the broader meaning of things. And, and, and Jewish people, they tended to be a little bit more practical and, and down to earth. The Gentiles had no idea what Passover was all about. It must have felt chaotic at times. There were historic slights. The Jews would have remembered when the Gentiles came and took over their, their land, their territory, when they ransacked um, their city. There would have been hard feelings, historical slights that they needed to navigate and move past. It must have felt chaotic, but they had this common ground, which was Jesus. Being at peace with God through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and the experience of his Holy Spirit now. What are the dividing walls that you've got between yourself and other people? Maybe it's people who struggle in ways that are different from you that you don't understand, and that kind of puts up a barrier and you want to resist them for that. I mentioned already, maybe it's uh, people who like different music. Oftentimes that separates us into different groups, different, different churches. You might never admit it, but maybe you shy away from people who buy all of their clothes at thrift stores and rather than shopping at H&M. When you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. And yet we happen to see it within humanity, within society, that we tend to gravitate toward people who are just like us, people with the same tastes, 
And, and oftentimes that looks like our, our fashion actually separates us. It, it's, it's astounding. It's, it's, it's actually quite, quite sad that, that we, some of us expect folks to be of a certain level of being hip, to be able to spend time with them. Perhaps it's certain personalities that grate on you. I'll admit, there are some personalities that take much more work for me to spend time with. It doesn't feel natural. It rubs me the wrong way because of how I'm wired, because of how they're wired, and it just it doesn't jive. There's significant potential for that to raise dividing walls between us. It's not easy to make conversation with people who um, have different culture, who view the world differently from us. Past slights divide us. Your grandfather did this to my grandfather. My mom said that about your mom. I know what people from your town did 30 years ago. Our political feelings. Uh, man, this is, this is in the last number of years, maybe in the last couple of weeks, again, we're reminded of how different many of our politics are. And that is a real threat to divide us, to separate us from one another. And so we stand apart. We distrust one another and, and, and there's this, this wall between us and we lob grenades of our ideas back and forth, not actually seeing one another face to face, not actually knowing each other, not living in relationship, but standing back and throwing our ideas back and forth. We cannot let these potential dividing walls stand in our way. We must not let our preferences, we must not let our cultural differences divide us. And this is God's heart for people. God's heart is that there would be unity. God's people is that there would be diversity and custom and preference as we live life side by side. Now, no doubt, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. And, and, and so there are things that keep us different or divide us in certain ways. And one of them is our faith in Christ. That is something that that uh, in, you know, in, in the churches, the people of God will always insist on. One, another piece is following his commands. When Jesus has called us to certain things, it's very clear actually in Paul's ministry that there is division at times of saying, you know what, you're not walking in the way of Jesus. You're walking in serious sin. You're teaching ideas that are false. We actually need to ask you to step away or we need to distance that relationship with the hope that you will return to what is correct and true. And so there are walls, there are differences, there are dividers that need to be in place in order to walk faithfully with Jesus. But those are around ethics, those are around doctrine, those are not around personal preference, those are not around personal style. We cannot let our preferences, we cannot let cultural divides and differences stand in our way. God says, I have this new humanity for, sorry, this new vision for humanity. And that vision is that it's going to be like a household. Now, think about your household for a moment. What's your household like? I don't know if your, your household is much like mine, but uh, we don't always get along. Some days we drive ourselves nuts. Some days dad's about to flip his lid because someone left the basement light on again. Other times, um, she's about to lose it because uh, one of her brothers stole her markers again. Or he can't stand the music that she just picked her. They don't like what was made for supper or the way that she cracks her gum annoys him. Or his insistence on everything being in order is enough to push everyone else over the edge. All of these things that make life together challenging, we navigate as a household. All of these little pieces that, that it, we could let push us away from one another. And, and if that happens, we, we miss out on something significant because we sharpen each other. We laugh 
together. We accomplish great things together. We're stuck together because we are family. And that's how households work. And, and so God says, this is actually a vision of who I'm calling my people to be. This is a vision of how I'm calling you to live in community with others. Verse 19 of our text, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but your fellow citizens with all of God's people and also members of his household. So there's a whole bunch of metaphors that Paul is using here. Foreigners, strangers, fellow citizens. But then this, this metaphor of a household is kind of the one I'm dwelling on. He then proceeds into a different metaphor of a physical structure built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God dwells. God lives by his spirit. So this, this building, we're all bricks in this building. Jesus is the cornerstone, the teachings of other leaders that prepare the way is the, the foundation. And we're bricks. And then God lives with inside this building. If we want to experience God's fullness in his presence, we enter into this family that Jesus is the cornerstone, the main piece holding it all together. This is God's vision for humanity. This is God's story for the dividing wall to be torn down so you can be with him and for the dividing wall between you and others to be torn down so that we can live together as a household. So what does this mean for us practically? First, true unity is only found in Jesus. It says Jesus, he himself is our peace. True unity is only found in Jesus. We need to work together for unity and peace throughout the world, regardless of what someone's faith or spiritual background is. These are signs of the kingdom. We're called to live at peace with others. We're called to work for reconciliation. It's critical. This is a part of what it means to be the people of God, but it will never be complete. It will never be fully unity until that common faith in Jesus is found. And so we're always inviting people, regardless of where they're from, regardless of what they believe, to place their faith in Jesus so that we can be reconciled and be a part of this household of God together. True peace will never fully finally happen without being united together in Jesus. The second piece, the second implication is you cannot follow Jesus faithfully on your own. It simply isn't possible. You cannot be faithful to Jesus on your own. Sure, you, you can have you you can receive salvation. Um, I'm not saying that your 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 status with God is dependent on you being a part of His people, but you can't live that faithfully. You can't step fully into what God's called you to unless you're living with His people in relationship. Western individualism tells us that we're fine on our own. You can do your own thing. You don't need other people. I'm going to say it straight up. That's hogwash. Hogwash. It is not what God has called us to. It simply isn't. You cannot believe in Jesus and hang out by yourself without other believers. Jesus invites us to be with him as he is with his people. If you're not living in community with others regularly, Hebrews 10.25 tells us to not give up the habit of meeting together regularly. Um, it insists on this for us. And you are not being faithful to Jesus. You're not embracing the fullness of the story that he has for you. You're settling for less than best if you're not regularly in relationship with people. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and his people. 
they're a part of the package. We're a part of the package. The third piece, the third implication that I want to share with you is your church should not all look like you. It should actually be full of people who rub you the wrong way. And, and you know, if you've been tracking with our KZMC teaching, I think this is something that you hear me say often. We need to be a place that's at home for all kinds of folks, normal folks, weird folks. We're going to have all different definitions for what's normal and weird. People you love being with, people that are hard to be with, people who are different, customs and practices that aren't your preference. It is always exceedingly sad for me to see people shifting away to other churches, shifting among churches to find the spot that fits their preferences the most. Whatever they like, whether it's the music, whether it's the feel, whether it's the, the, just, just the vibe. That makes me really sad actually because God has called us to be a household with people who are different from us. We're called to live this out together. Next Sunday, we're going to be starting our practice of Oikos Sundays. If, if you haven't heard already or you've only been checking in with our, our online teaching, what this is about is, is that we're going to shift to alternating Sundays. One we're calling Assembly Sundays, where we're all gathered together on Zoom to worship together. And then the next Sunday, we'll meet in smaller pockets of 20 to 30 people. Now, doing that online as well, because we need to be in community with, with one another. So we'll be talking about scripture, we'll be praying, sharing life together. So these will be Oikos Sundays. In the next number of days, you're going to discover who you're with, who's in your Oikos group. Actually, you might have already seen that on the Friday before this, this video, before you receive this. When you arrive in your group, there's a very good chance you're going to look around and be like, oh, serious? I got in this group with this person. Inside, you're like, I really wish I was in a different group. And I'm actually going to invite you, in response to this text, to live into that and to engage with people that you don't prefer to be with. Because it's when we walk it out through thick and thin that we're shaped in important ways. When we pursue Jesus as our common unity, that God is doing something significant. We're better. We're healthier. We're wiser. We're more loving. This is what justice looks like when we're with people who are different from us. Jesus is our peace. He's torn down the barrier between us and him, and we want to join with him in that in the work of that barrier being torn down between you and others. So many implications. I feel like I could talk at great length about this yet. What does this mean? Why why don't we have people of other races in our churches? Why don't we have more evidence of socioeconomic diversity in our churches? Have you truly sought to listen to First Nations people to hear what they've experienced? Have you sought to sit with younger people, with older people to hear what they experience? Are there people in our communities who have challenging personalities that we seem to have just pushed out and avoided? Why is that? All right, I'm going to leave it at that. But I invite you to embrace this vision, this challenging and exciting vision of being God's people together, reconciled to Jesus, reconciled to one another, members of his household together. And this is challenging, it's exciting, and it looks radically different from how the world operates. Verse 14 of our text, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This is good news. Those walls that isolate you, Jesus wants to tear them down. Will you allow him to do that in your life?